and I, again, as, as soon as any person in power sees someone who has historically held little to no power, they can instantly just be seen as a threat. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 6 of You Do the Talking. My name is Lindsay, I'm here with my co-host, Awesome. And today we will be discussing something pretty exciting, pretty fun. We'll be discussing feminism and gender equality. So we're going to start by just kind of going through what feminism means to us and the definition. So in our notes, it just says that feminism is the advocacy of women's rights on the basis of the equality of the sexes. So what does feminism mean to you? Well, to me, I, I guess I just agree with the basic definition of it. But I think that feminism, as we'll discuss later in this episode, is the hist- of the history of feminism and um, modern-day feminism. Um, I think now it mainly focuses on education and um, just like female empowerment in general. Yeah, for sure. I'd agree with that. Um, so why don't we get into the waves of feminism? Okay, so the waves of feminism are just the distinct periods of the worldwide feminist movement. It began in around, around the 1850s um, with the first wave for women's fight for property rights. This included the right to vote and gain political power. And eventually, as time went on, it expanded to concern sexual, reproductive, and economic matters. Um, so essentially, the seed was planted for feminism in the first wave of feminism, and this was also the time period of the famous five, if you're familiar with Canadian history. So the second wave, which began in the 60s and lasted till about the 80s, continued to work toward reproductive rights, but following the Second World War, which is frequently referenced as a point of female liberation in general, um, the fight for labor rights began to play a significant role. Um, I read an article about this this morning, um, and you know it's widely known that the Second World War kind of gave light to female empowerment in the workplace. Um, for the first time, probably ever, women were given significant roles in in war and just in the workforce and labor. So that. I believe was just very empowering to them and kind of women could kind of hit the ground running with, I don't know, a passion for equal labor rights, which we're still fighting for today. Um, oh, go ahead. I think this like is depicted really well in a TV show that I watch called Mrs. America, which kind of um, shows what in like what happened in America around like the 1970s and kind of both sides of like fighting for equality and the side of not, if that makes sense. Yeah. Also, the second wave was also kind of the time when white feminism played a significant role and one-size-fits-all feminism was pervasive just because it mainly involved white women, white wealthy women fighting for their labor rights. Um, And this, I also believe, is the time when the term feminist became kind of a negative word and and, and it was just the feminist movement in general was just looked upon in a negative light. But now, in but but next to the third wave, around the 90s, lasting until about the 2010s, this focused on the micropolitics of gender equality, so meaning that this wave simply continued the work that was prefaced by previous waves of women while the term feminist is received less critically. 
Obviously, there's still much more work to be done to continue the feminist movement and have it become pretty mainstream and seen positively in, in a universal setting. Um, but again, this will continue in the fourth wave of feminism, which we are amidst right now. So this is often referred to as modern-day feminism, um, but modern-day feminism mainly focuses on the empowerment of women, the disparities in the gender pay gap, and um, I believe education for girls and women in developing nations, especially in the global south. Here in the global north and in most western liberal democracies, it's the norm for both women and men to provide for families. Um, women are educated, if not, I think we are like the most educated um, compared to men. Um, but obviously this is not the case in a lot of developing nations. We will talk about this more in a future episode when we review a novel that focuses on this heavily. So, yeah. Um, and kind of adding on to that, I feel like equality of the genders around the world is very important, especially in countries like Saudi Arabia or the UAE, where Dubai is located. And I feel like this is shown kind of in the news a lot lately, um, especially with um, Rahaf Mohammed fleeing to Canada. And like that was in the news a lot, like about like a year and a half ago. And I know I watched another documentary of how the, I don't remember wh what country it was, but like a, like they passed these driving laws and like it was like a big moment for feminism as a whole, but then quietly they took back those rights and instead imprisoned um, activists who were working towards those driving laws. And another thing that is very significant would like be just the control that men have over women in other countries, um, such as like having need needing permission to like leave the country or like I know they recently released like an app for like the tracking of their female like their daughters their oh sisters God. and it's like kind of scary honestly yeah I think Saudi Arabia in general is kind of looked towards as not only like the most like religiously extremist country but also in terms of like women's rights I know that a lot of the times we look to Saudi Arabia as being just kind of the country that demonizes women the most, which is really problematic, but also just kind of, you know, it's 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 shocking to us because we live in such a free country, but at the same time, it's kind of a reminder that we haven't yet achieved what the feminist movement has gone out to achieve. There's still a lot more work to be done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so next we're going to talk about um, women in politics, and I feel like in 2015, when, when um, Justin Trudeau was elected, um, one of his big campaign promises was like a gender balanced cabinet. And like that's something he prides himself on. And though I feel like that is a super good thing, I feel like it's not a very good representation of kind of gender equality that is happening like in real life. like especially, like, with gender pay. Why not? I don't know. I think that, like, how else would he want to model 
you try to model feminism no i think it's government it's not a bad thing i think it's good but i think it's not like he can go farther in what way um like man like nationally mandate equal pay because that already is a thing it's not you know it, it is widely mandated but i i mean it's not it's the law but it's not heavily enforced a lot of the time so you're saying like to enforce it more i just think more recognition of it no i agree with you but i just don't see how a i i, I don't i don't see how a leader could take more of a step to improve that on in a more kind of more concrete governmental in a more concrete governmental way right mm, that's true you know justin trudeau he can talk about feminism as much as he wants he can label himself as a feminist as much as he can but there becomes a point where it just becomes very performative is that what you're trying to say yeah yeah i don't know i think that him having a balanced cabinet is 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 a really good step i think it should just be the norm i don't i don't love how much he's advertised it to be such i think that's what my like is that your issue not my issue but like that's why i'm very like skeptical of it yeah like, it's not that it's a bad you're not thing. critical of it mm-hmm. yeah no but it's just like the heavily promotion of this one step he has taken well okay i i I'm, i don't want to be too biased here but i think that because justin trudeau knows that he can't you know balance a budget he just thinks that if he becomes the most socially progressive prime minister we've ever had then people can overlook his other mistakes that's you know but i mean it's 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 a good step but i just it should just be the norm it shouldn't be something that's celebrated i think we should just accept it and just say cool okay that's how i would react to it so again with women in politics i think that it's widely known that men are often way more eager to run and i think that that's so problematic but also i can i can see why that is you know, I, females are judged more on their appearance than men are. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that if women make a mistake, that doesn't even have to do with their politics or with their agenda at all. They can be instantly demonized for it and just uh, labeled as a bad leader or a bad politician. One of my favorite podcasts called um, No Second Chances kind of goes really deep into women in politics in general. And I learned like a lot about how women are often put into like especially leadership positions when their party is like facing like a very difficult time where like no men really want to run that much and oftentimes at well especially in Canadian politics the first ministers have never like female first ministers have never been elected premier or prime minister like twice which I don't know quite surprising to me well, I think that now it's the norm for women to be in politics, but it's not, we're not at a perfect point where if a female politician makes a mistake, it's because she made a mistake and not because she's a woman, right? Because I think it could be so easy for especially, um, you know, more conservative folk to, to document that, you know, like we see. Okay, so just as a, as a brief example, in 2016, we had Hillary versus Trump. A lot of the time, Trump wasn't even debating Hillary's agenda at all. He was mostly just debating her feminism and her femininity, 
if that makes sense, I found. And I know that that's not, that's not a very good example because Trump is a psychopath, but um, I don't know. Another thing I think about a lot, and I'm not sure if this is a significant, this plays a significant role as far as the feminist movement goes. I know there's a lot of reasons as to why this is, but Hillary Clinton is often just, you know, referred to as Hillary. Whereas every male leader in politics is often referred to by their last name, which is seen as like a sign of respect, right? And I know that, you know, we've had, and I know that like, you know, Bill Clinton is often just referred to as President Clinton. So it would be kind of strange to refer to Hillary Clinton as being Clinton. I mean, she's just Hillary, Hillary Rodham Clinton. I just find that very, it kind of just irks me. It just hits me the wrong way. And I know that there's a reason for it, and I know that that's like just how it is, but that just kind of just rubs me the wrong way. No, but do you refer to Nancy Pelosi as Nancy? Speaker Pelosi? Yeah. Well, a lot of people just refer to as Nancy Pelosi, not as (laughs) Speaker Pelosi. That's true. But I mean, we refer to AOC as AOC. I know that's how she goes. But then we refer to Congressman Yoho as Congressman Yoho, and not Congress Congresswoman Ocasio Cortez. And I know this is, just, this is just how it is. Um, but I don't know. Do you think it's by this, preference? Like, for like, example, like for me. Also, Kellyanne Conway. I know she's a, she's a Republican. You know, yeah. she's also referred to as Kellyanne Conway, not Conway. I don't know. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like, by personal preference, I would never, ever be, want to be referred to as woo. Like, I hate that so okay. much. So, so personally, like, you think that. So I don't know if it's, like, personal preference and how you're marketing yourself or if it's just kind of society as a whole. Well, I see someone referring to me or anyone else by their last name, maybe like, you know, Mr. Last Name, Ms. Last Name, Mrs. Last Name, as a sign of respect. You know, that there's a reason why when we're writing a literary essay, we'll refer to the author by their last name, not by their first name. You know, because they're not our friends, they're just, they're an author, it's a sign of respect. So, I don't know, I see it as a little bit, through fem- feminist lens, I see this as a little bit anti-feminist. I don't know if I'm reading into this too much, I probably am, but it's just something I think about a lot. Before we move on from women in politics to our next topic, I think it would be a good time to discuss the instant Congress that happened not too long ago. This was all over the internet. Um, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was heavily praised for this powerful and very moving speech that she delivered as a response to an incident of sexist vulgarity that happened on the steps of the House of Representatives. And I quote Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez, quote, in front of reporters, Representative Yoho called me, and I quote, a fucking bitch. These are the words Representative Yoho levied against a Congresswoman, unquote. Apparently, to my knowledge, these words were levied against her out of like basically no context. So, I think this is just yet another example of modern-day anti-feminist because we see this 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 white male Republican labeling this 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 powerful young person of color who is not to mention a female because we're talking about feminism 
as as a bitch. And I think women have long gone unheard and have been belittled of their power for so long. And I, again, as, as soon as any person in power sees someone who has historically held little to no power, they can instantly just be seen as a threat. It happens every, it happens every day. It's not, it's, not, it's not unique to politics in any way. So I just think it's incredibly unfair that women can be seen as, as less than or less intelligent and that they don't know what they're doing. I think it's so easy, especially for AOC to be victimized, victimized, for AOC to be demonized because she's young, she is a person of color, she's a woman, and she fights for, you know, quote, radical policies, which, you know, and a lot of the times aren't even, like, that radical. They are progressive, but they're not, by definition, radical. Right? So I, I think that it's incredibly unfair to paint this woman as being dumb or a bitch because she disagrees with some of the harmful policies that have been put in place um, by Republicans. That's not to say that all Republicans are anti-feminist. It's not to say that, you know, Republicans are anti-women. But it's also not to say that Democrats are anti-men. I, I think that feminists should just be labeled as pro-equality. Yeah. I'd agree. So when I th- first heard about this specific incident, um, I was quite shocked about like how this could happen, especially in the modern world and this day and age. Um, but I feel like her response like is an emotional one. And I think for females, oftentimes we're seen as very emotional and like wear our hearts on our sleeve and like have feelings. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I, I, I understand what you're saying. And what's funny is that, he, you know, feminism is an emotional issue. It's a political issue. It's a social issue. But it's also incredibly emotional because women face so much adversity just because they're female, right? So I think that Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez's speech, while being incredibly emotional, was also incredibly moving. And um, I think a really solid wake-up call to a lot of women who don't want to label themselves as feminists because they're afraid that they'll be painted in a bad light because feminists are often, as I mentioned, being seen as anti-men. And it's funny because when Representative Yoho responded to this situation, his speech didn't even offer a concrete apology. It was so unemotional, even though the incident itself was clearly very emotional. And it's not to say, like, emotions are bad, because I feel like it's, like, kind of part of who you are, and, like, it's, like, something that happens to everybody, but I feel like for men, oftentimes, from a young age, they're told to, like, kind of shove their feelings down inside of them. Would you agree? Yeah, I would agree, and that just goes to show that toxic masculinity is incredibly pervasive. If anything, I feel like we need more emotion in this world. You know, just straying from the topic of politics, I think that having us break down the, the issues of toxic masculinity would be a monumental step towards fem- the feminist movement in general, if that makes any sense. This kind of segues well into our next topic, because we're going to just talk about how 
men and women are perceived differently. How men and women are perceived differently in communication in the, world. In the workplace and yeah, in the world. This was brought to my attention by a book by Sarah Cooper, who is, I would say, a very successful TikToker. And she wrote the book, How to Be Successful Without Hurting Men's Feelings. And this is, it brought to light um, some very interesting issues. Because I feel like often men and women are interpreted differently. For example, um, if you were to say that this really pisses me off, um, if a man was to say this, it would be passionate, and if a woman was to say this, it'd be emotional. And I feel like this is such an interesting bias that like some of us may not even recognize or realize that this is happening. Yeah, I even have experience with this. I mean, not necessarily in the workplace, but at school, I often feel like if I try and take the lead on an assignment or a project, I can be seen as bossy or as arrogant when in reality if a man was to take initiative it would be seen as confident and it would allow them to showcase their leadership and intelligence right oh Mm -hmm. we we even have this in our notes right so um i even sometimes have to catch myself from doing this when i'm you know i'm i'm with a group and we're just discussing something maybe it involves a school project Maybe it doesn't, but I feel like if I, I always feel, I feel a little bit bad if I talk too much or if I try to take too much into my own hands, then it's, you know, seen as like kind of bossy and like not really okay. Um, And, you know, I think we can both agree that women often take much more responsibility for things. So that leads to us like apologizing a lot. I, I always feel like I need I have the responsibility to apologize whenever I made, whenever I like, I don't know, did something wrong, even though it's not really worth apologizing for. It's just a simple, basic mistake. Mm-hmm. So that happens to me a lot. But I think that's kind of like my only experience with like gender discrimination in general. I find, I think that I'm very lucky that I haven't had to face too much of that. Um, face a lot of adversity just based on, you know, my femininity, femininity as alone. Um, so yeah. For me, I actually recently bought, um, some balloons for a friend, and this guy at the balloon store asked me if the birthday person was a boy or a girl, and I responded that it was a girl, and he put pink ribbon on this balloon, and I was very, honestly, outraged because... I don't know. I feel like I feel like we've, we've moved, moved on, on from like the pink equals woman blue. Yeah, color. exactly. Yeah. And like personally, I like blue better. I just personally <laughs> like I'm pretty sure it's like statistically proven that like blue is more eye catching to most people, the human eye. Huh. Which is interesting. But I don't know. I just maybe I'm too optimistic. However, I just wasn't really expecting that to occur. As I was mentioning to Ansem earlier, I think there's a lot of instances that I've experienced or at least witnessed in my life that have been anti-feminist, but I just can't think of them because a lot of them are just societal norms, which is super problematic. So how can we work towards a more 
equitable place for all genders. Is it going to be easy? No. Is it going to be fun? Comfortable? No. But there's still a lot of work to be done. I'm a big believer in education, and again, we'll be discussing this a lot in a future episode when we review one of my favorite books. But I, I feel kind of bad because I'm not super involved in like feminist movements at all. All I could do is talk about it. Um, but there's a lot of advocacy groups that works toward that work toward equal pay, equal opportunities in a lot of male-dominated industries and, and, and sectors. But I guess all I all I can do is is is, is discuss it, spread the word, um, stand up for myself, advocate for myself on behalf of all women. So yeah, just to summarize, there's a lot more work to be done in the feminist movement. And frankly, I feel kind of bad that I haven't done enough, but there's still more time, there's still a lot more work to be done. Um, if you're interested in any of our sources, we'll link them in the podcast show notes. Like always, be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We'll link our social medias in the notes as well. Subscribe to our podcast, follow us on Spotify, leave a rating and review. We really hope you enjoyed. Stay tuned for future episodes and have a great day.